1: Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I am joined with my co-host, David Partain. Happy Friday, David.
2: Happy Friday to you. What a beautiful day here in Chicago.
1: It is. It's so nice to hear that rather than when we used to say it's 14 degrees and (laughs) raining. That's true. (laughs) Hybrid work is now the norm. Instead of being in the office five days a week, That's for a lot of people. And based on what we've been seeing during this great resignation, we believe that hybrid or fully remote work for many may be here to stay for a long time. But how do you manage meetings when some are in the office and others are working remotely? Whether we liked it or not, we all got used to virtual meetings But now we have to adapt to something new. Again, the hybrid meeting. So today on the show, we're going to talk with Lauren Sergi, who has actually written the book on virtual engagements. Her book is titled Unmute. How to master virtual meetings and reclaim your sanity. We could all use a little bit of that. Uh, Lauren is going to share with us some very helpful tips for this transition to hybrid meetings from fully remote meetings. You know, public speaking and communications are what Lauren Sergi does, and she has helped thousands of people become more effective leaders by enhancing their communication skills. She's worked with clients and audiences in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., and Europe, including KPMG, Grant Thornton, Cargill, T-Mobile, Northern Trust, and many more. Her book, The Handy Communication Answer Book, was actually featured on Library Journal's Best Reference Books of 2017, And her latest book is, as we said before, Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. It's now available at all the major online booksellers. You know, at Flexures, we've worked with Lauren for quite a few years now, and she's given us both one-on-one coaching on public speaking, and I'm a proud graduate of her program. And she's also joined us at our national sales meetings to provide tips for our salespeople in how to command the attention of a room when they're presenting. Lauren, we are delighted that you can join us today on the Flexible Advisor podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting
3: me, Laura. It is always, always such a treat to be with with the Northern Trust family and all of their cohort.
2: Well, Lauren, it is a real pleasure to have you on the show with us. But I have to tell you that I've gotten kind of used to being a little insane. So, not sure I want to go back to reclaim my sanity. But that's, uh, that's I-, I actually think you're probably right. We all need to reclaim some sanity. And these last two years have really challenged, uh, it's no surprise, many of us on so many levels. Yeah, prior to the pandemic, I was trying to think I would work occasionally from home. And you know, I actually saw the benefit of that when I really wanted to get into what I've that term used deep work. But most of my days were spent in the office, of course. And now meetings that included people outside the office were generally like audio only conference calls. I can't even imagine a conference call these days. But in March 2020, we all had to get used to being on camera. And in the early days. I mean, Laura could answer this. I may have overdone it with daily video calls with my team.
1: Yes, you have. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs)
2: Okay, great. Thank you. But as time went by, we tried a variety of different formats, and we have actually reduced them, and now for the last year, we've been meeting online weekly as a group, but we actually meet more often individually. Now we're beginning to go back to the office And again, we're struggling with the right format for our meetings. And I even have one partner on the team, Ann, who is actually based in the UK. So she's never in our Chicago office. So should we continue video calls in the days we're all working remotely? Or should we do them in person when most of us are in the same room with, say, Ann on the camera? And what are some of the cultural communications issues you've seen as people are forced to shift their way of doing things yet again?
3: Oh, those are such good questions, David. You know, let's 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 talk about Anne first. Anne on the mm-hmm. camera. Um, and years ago, when uh, when I was still in um, in previous roles, I was in a very similar situation where all of us were in the office and we had one member of the team who worked on the other side of the country. So she was always on teleconference. And towards the the end of my tenure there, which was many years ago, we started doing video conference with her as well. Now. Video is wonderful. It is wonderful. Mm. I will I will yeah. rag on it every now and then, but it really is a fantastic opportunity to help people build deeper relationships, you know, when they are geographically separated, like you and Anne are. Mm. But the hybrid issue is what presents the problem. And I don't find hybrid to be terribly problematic when it's just one person who's joining in, because usually everyone who is in the room physically together is very aware that there's just one other person on the screen. They'll usually make a pretty decent effort of including them. But when you have smaller groups of people in person and then a bunch of people on the camera, what you'll find is that there becomes a separation of the relationships in the room. This is not because anyone is trying to exclude anyone else. This is just how our communication brains are wired. And unfortunately, the people who are on video are at a distinct disadvantage when it comes to communication. The disadvantage is pretty obvious. They can't engage in the sort of social nonverbal communication that under that that just underpins all of our in-person conversations. So even when people are trying to be inclusive of those who are on the camera, the people who are in the room are going to be able to do things like give one another significant looks. You know, you have your your buddy on the other side of the table that when someone else says that thing you knew they would say, you can be like, oh, you know, give them the old Mm -hmm. raised eyebrows. You can't do things like physically orient yourself towards the person whose turn it is to talk or towards the person who would be best to answer a question. All of those little nonverbal signals create a huge impact in terms of people's ability to communicate smoothly and to develop better relationships because of it. What I found really helps with this to kind of avoid the siloing is that for the most part, you want to democratize the experience so that Mm -hmm. no one is at a greater disadvantage than anyone else, which is to say, if you have people on camera, it might be best to have the entire meeting on camera. Even if people are in the same office together, they might be across the hallway or a cubicle, a couple of, uh, a couple of rows down. Hmm. Get them on hmm. camera so that everyone is communicating in the same way, in the same medium. And that way, the experience is the same. This isn't to say there aren't going to be times when you won't have the hybrid meeting where some are on camera and some are in person, but I wouldn't make that the default. I'd make that the exception and not the rule.
2: Really interesting. So, Lauren, before you get to the cultural issues, does this benefit those of us who are very bad poker players like we show our face and so being on camera is good so the good poker players are actually at a disadvantage in this regard because they don't show emotion
3: uh you know they wouldn't be showing a lot of emotion in the room anyway yeah (laughs) some people are more expressive than others
2: yeah yeah well there you
3: go yeah yeah um, so the is, cultural,
2: are there cultural communications issues like with Anne being, uh, she's actually from Finland, lives now in London is, and dealing with a whole U.S. team.
3: Mm-hmm. Those cultural communication issues, when it comes down to communication styles and habits, don't mm-hmm. aren't typically overly affected by in-person or on camera. So the cultural communication differences would exist whether or not people were physically in the same room or whether or not they were separated. And I find that generally speaking, because there is so much regional, you know, interregional work, people are pretty quick off the mark now to accommodate those cultural differences. The main cultural difference that does come up on video camera is eye contact, some cultures are very, very eye-contact-oriented, North American and European cultures. We favor eye contact. We like to look at one another directly. It's seen as a sign of attention and respect. As one of my one of my Italian clients, when I mentioned that, she burst out and said, oh, well, you know, here in Italy, if you're not looking straight at us, we think that you're lying or hiding something. It's like, yes, it's it's important. But in other cultures, you know, lots of Southeast Asian cultures, lots of Middle Eastern cultures, not looking directly at the person is a sign of respect and deference so you have these differences that get really weird on video and it's weirder for eye contact heavy cultures because if you're going to look at one another in a video setting you can't actually look at the faces you can't look at your screen you have to look directly into the webcam lens yeah and When we get there, for people who are used to looking away as a sign of respect, this isn't overly bothersome. It doesn't jar them. But for people who are eye contact heavy, it can actually create a pretty big cognitive load because as they're watching the, everyone's face on the camera, no one is looking at anyone else. And that that jars at us. It plucks at our attention span, and then we have to consciously look away from all of the faces to make everyone else feel like we're making eye contact with them. Uh, there's no easy way to work around that cultural difference. It's simply a matter of getting used to putting your eyes on the camera lens when you want people to know that you're paying attention or when you want them to feel that you're speaking directly to them. And this is practice and repetition. But it is one of those things that can make virtual meetings tiring. I find that if you start to get into cultural differences within a single office setting, Yes, that starts to happen. So the organizational culture might change a little bit depending on how reliant on virtual meetings people are and how much hybrid is going on. And what you'll see is splits in the organizational culture between the teams that are in person and the people who are largely remote. And that has everything to do with that feeling of not having the same depth of relationship with other people.
1: Interesting. So... You know, I was joking with David earlier about early in the pandemic, having the the every single day team Zoom <laughs> meetings. But um, <laughs> I do have to say that was a really tricky time, right? We were yeah. all just figuring things out. And yep. so it was very additive. And, you know, as he said, we've since um, backed off on those daily meetings. But I would say that the power that that had in the beginning was to bring us as a team. we're not a big team, but to bring us closer together. Like mm-hmm. I feel you know, I've said this multiple times. I feel closer to my team now after being away from them for two and a half years than I did when we were all in the office together. So mm-hmm. you know David, congratulations on <laughs> on doing that and I, I mean that really sincerely. Um, and you know, I'll tell you, Lauren, I was never, a fan of video calls prior to the pandemic. Basically, (laughs) I would do anything within my power that I could to avoid them. But now, you know, COVID has changed us all so much. I find myself disappointed when I join what I think is going to be a video call and I get on with my camera turned on and nobody else has their camera on uh, but me. (laughs) And, you know, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, we're, and, you know, it's not everybody, but I think there's so many organizations that have this hybrid thing going on. And I'm just wondering, are there certain rules of the road that you advise your clients to follow these days as they're navigating that that hybrid environment?
3: There are. Yes, indeed there are. And you know, to your to your first point Laura about feeling closer to the team now when we all had to be virtual. Part of that is that we all had to thrash through a very new experience and for many people totally unaccustomed or absolutely loathing the webcam, they felt awful in front of it. We thrashed thrashed through that together. And got to see each other in a much different and in many cases more intimate way. So I think that for many workplace relationships, this was really positive. But now that we're moving back to the office again, we're in it. We're again in that thrashing situation. Your point to talking to a whole room of cameras that are turned off is such a good one. It is so tiring. If you are the only person who has their camera turned on, you have to do a lot of mental and emotional work to put on a good show to what feels like an empty room. Um, in the speaking world, I and my colleagues will often refer to this as though it feels like you're talking to a dead audience. They're given nothing to you. You have no emotion, no reaction to respond to. So it all kind of needs to get conjured up in your head. And for people who are giving training webinars or talks or whatever, and they're the only ones on camera, that's tough. That is mentally really, really tough on them. In meetings, it can also create issues within team relationships. And here, the issue isn't whether the cameras are on or the cameras are off. It's whether all the cameras are on or all of them are off. It's consistency in experience. And that's where having really clear etiquette within your organization helps. First up, with the cameras on and the cameras off thing, Being on camera all day is its own form of exhaustion, and I don't recommend that people do that. We also have to be aware that not everyone is comfortable being on the webcam and be willing to flex with that. So I'm in favor of a blend that some meetings your cameras are turned on and some they aren't, but you have to communicate that expectation to everyone who's in the meeting. So just put it in an email when you're inviting people to a meeting, let them know whether it is a cameras on or cameras off meeting. Um, Another point of etiquette that still, and I'm I'm actually surprised how often it still comes up, is your on-camera dress code. So how are people expected to show up in their space? And their space refers not only to what they're wearing, but also to the room that they're in. Is this the kind of meeting where you are expected to be in business, wear, it's very formal, maybe you are reaching out to a highly desirable new client and you want to put forward that very professional look. Maybe you're speaking to the the, the top executives in the organization and you have to really show up as you would at the office. In that case, make it clear, this is the dress code, business wear. If it's one of your close working teams and you've all seen each other at your worst, two o'clock in the morning during a crunch time, well, then maybe the dress code can be relaxed and let people know. But you're setting the expectations for how people understand that they're supposed to show up. And those expectations are really important. Uh, Another good point of etiquette is how people are going to manage the conversation. And this, again, conversation management is trickier in an online environment. So I always recommend that there is a clear appointment of a meeting leader or a meeting facilitator. So someone knows who is in charge. Everyone knows rather who is in charge of saying, okay, it's David's turn to talk. It's Laura's turn to talk. If people are talking over one another, I'm going to step in and say, okay, uh, your turn, Sam. Sam has something to say. Let's listen to you for a minute. Everyone else mute your mics because you won't stop talking. Have that role clearly understood as to who it is. And that way you have almost like an etiquette monitor going on. And it makes the conversation a lot easier to handle. Ultimately, create etiquette that will create a consistency and experience for everyone, whether it's that you can see each other or not, or you know whose turn it is to speak or not, just set those expectations.
2: Wow, Lauren, those rules of etiquette, They actually make a lot of sense to me, and the importance of clarity obviously cannot be understated. So let's talk about like some statistics that you have seen around the right amount of time to have the camera on, off, or is it just unique to an individual? And and so I'm sorry I'm bombarding you, but this is really (laughs) interesting. As a manager, how much flexibility should I be giving to those who wish to be off camera? You know, I. I want to be respectful, but I also want to leave meaningful meetings.
3: This is such an important question. It is very individual, and there aren't any clear statistics on mm. how many hours a day a single person can put up with it because, again, very, very tiring form of communication being on video, yeah. and we have life going on around us as well, and that needs to be taken into account. In terms of the scheduling, how much time should you be spending on camera? I recommend that everyone as individuals spend some time tracking your energy levels and when you feel most functional on camera. So I'm really good on camera in the mornings. Uh, I'm absolutely awful (laughs) in the afternoons because I'm tired or I can do two or three half hour meetings every single day. That's fine. But don't put me in front of the camera all day. That's too much. Other people will find that they like to load all of their on-camera time into a couple days during the week and then try to stay off of it for other days during the week so that they can, again, just take that mental load off. It's going to be individual. Now we're not always going to be able to control when we accept meetings that are on camera or what have you, but having that understanding of what your own tolerance is can help you be more strategic for when you do have some scheduling power. That is very useful. Something that many of my clients have implemented and has worked really well is designating entire camera off days within their company. So it's like the new Mm. casual Friday is camera-free Friday, let's say. You don't have to get out of your jammies if you're not going into the office. You don't need to worry about looking good on camera because there will be no on-camera meetings internally scheduled that day. That can take a lot of pressure off people. Having that consistent across the company. So it's good to find those options that work with you and that work with your team. In terms of you as a manager giving some flexibility and leeway to people who need to be off camera, I approach it from a be human, but also have expectations. The be human bit really does mean accounting for life circumstances. You know, let's say that you have a team member who's working remotely because they have a sick kid at home. Let them stay off camera because the wee one is attached to the side of their head and they still want to attend the meeting, but they also need to be attending their kid. That would be a moment where you can say, okay, you know what, John, you can stay off camera. That's fine. We get it. Something else to consider are, uh, is neurodiversity. So people who genuinely, due to whatever reason, find it very difficult to be on camera for longer periods of time. That isn't a free pass to say that everyone who just doesn't like being on camera can leave their cameras off. Usually, in, in my experience, in the experience of neurodiverse clients and colleagues, they're usually pretty honest about it. Um, one of my colleagues in back from my library days is um, on the autism spectrum, and he tells everyone that these are my needs. This is how I show up. Please understand it's nothing personal. It's my neurodiversity. So if you have situations like that, give more leeway to those individuals. Otherwise, I recommend being really straightforward and having fairly strong expectations. So if life happens, No problem. We understand that. We get it. But otherwise, show up the way that everyone else is showing up. I am quite strong on that because, again, there are some people who just don't want to get out of their hoodies. And that is not an acceptable reason to put everyone at a communication disadvantage. If you're having problems with this with certain individuals on your team, frequently people don't understand what happens when you are consistently the only person who isn't turning your camera on. And what it does in terms of the team's relationships is that people who have their cameras on will perceive the person who have their cameras off as putting in less effort into the relationship and into the mm. communication. So now it's an issue of, hey, why isn't Sam putting her camera on. Why isn't I, I put the effort into putting on a suit jacket and doing my makeup. I'm looking into the camera. Why isn't she willing to do the same thing? Or even worse, is she checking her email again? Is she paying? Is she even there? So I find that when there's individuals who are reluctant or who are quick to turn their cameras off, if you let them know that that's what's going on, they now understand why they need to have them on. And the behavior usually gets corrected mighty quick.
2: Yeah, that is a really great point. Okay. So I love the idea of the meeting facilitator that you brought up. So tell us more about what that actually looks like. Is one necessary for every hybrid meeting or can I, as the meeting leader or any meeting leader, should we take on that role?
3: I love facilitators. They make things so much easier on everyone else in terms of communication. The need for having a dedicated facilitator, I find, usually depends on the size of the meeting. You always want to know who the meeting leader is. That's going to be the person who is largely driving the agenda and who is mostly focused on making sure that what needs to be done gets done. In small meetings, it's generally the person who's called the meeting. So if if so and so wants to have this meeting, then they are probably going to end up the meeting leader, but you want to clearly label who that is. If there's an individual or if the person who called the meeting has a lot to do in terms of giving reports, giving information, they need to do a lot of speaking, then they probably shouldn't be meeting leader. Because the meeting leader or the facilitator in big meetings needs to be able to pay attention to where the conversation is going, manage how people are interacting with one another and all of that, which is difficult to do. So you don't want to pile that on someone who already has a full plate. So just be aware of who seems reasonable to take on that role and clearly appoint them, make sure that everyone else knows who they are. In big meetings and especially in big hybrid meetings, having a dedicated facilitator is an absolute must. They are going to first up control the conversation, break up situations where people are speaking over one another. And this is necessary in in in-person only meetings as well. They're going to manage that side of the conversation. And in hybrid meetings, they are going to be the bridge between the people who are physically in the room and the people who are on camera. So they can do things like say, Hey Sue, it looks like you had something to share with John over there. Could you let the people on camera know what that is? So if, they, if the meeting facilitator picks up on a lot of fidgeting or something or a little side comment that normally the people on camera would have heard if they were in the room, they can relay that information to the people on camera. They can also watch the behavior of people on camera and say, okay, Andy, uh, you've been raising your hand a couple of times. What would you like to add to the conversation? So they can pay attention to them and say, looks like Andy really wants to speak right now. If he was in the room, he would have been able to clearly signal this, but he can't. So I'm going to invite him to talk now. In big hybrid meetings, as far as I'm concerned, you can't not have someone fulfilling that role. It's wonderful to
1: have. So Lauren, you mentioned the really long hybrid meetings, and that's so important because Especially when you're on camera, but even when you're all sitting in a room, you, you need those breaks. Um, typically, in meetings, there's you know 15 minutes or so where people can get up and stretch, and you know, in person, they tend to follow up uh, with conversations. But in many cases, you know, those people that are there physically together are, are having these side conversations that, of course, uh, exclude those people on the camera. How would you suggest managing that? So the remote folks get all the benefits from those side conversations and don't feel as if they're being excluded.
3: That's a really tricky one, Laura, to manage because of course, it's simply one of the limitations that we have in terms of hybrid. I encourage anyone who is in the in-person portion of the hybrid meeting, that if a conversation comes up, a side conversation comes up and you think that other people should know Or that you know that one of the people who is remote would have something good to say, invite them to have a conversation with you and the other individual you are having your little side chat with. Invite them to have a meeting with you after the meeting is over. So all of you can get on video and carry on the communication. Doing this takes awareness of people who are having those side conversations that, hey, wait a minute, there's people on the other side of the world that we need to thoughtfully include. So really the the only way for managing this is to be very, very mindful of who else might benefit or bring benefit to this side conversation and then follow up on it and invite them to have a separate conversation with you.
1: So, again, more fantastic ideas. And I would assume that most of these ideas can be found in your book, Unmute. Tell us a little bit about the book and what readers can learn um, from reading it and, of course, where they can find it to purchase.
3: Absolutely. Unmute came about because, well, there was a pandemic <laughs> and then we were all <laughs> thrust into this <laughs> online world and it's, it was a source of struggle for many people as it continues to be. It's important that this is, because this is such a mainstream form of communication and there's so many advantages to it, you want to feel comfortable in this medium. You want to be able to, it's important that we're able to be polished and professional and communicate well via this medium And while the means to do this aren't difficult, they're also not terribly intuitive. So this book basically lays out in very plain language, and frankly, in a rather entertaining package, what you need to do to be good in virtual, to look good, to sound good, to have good meetings, to interact well with other people, and to manage your use of the medium so that it doesn't become stressful or overwhelming or overly exhausting. Zoom fatigue is a thing. Virtual burnout is a thing. So a big portion of this book is about how to avoid that. And Mm. uh, as we mentioned earlier, you can get it via your favorite online bookseller.
2: Well, Lauren, on the podcast, we always like to leave listeners with a couple actionable ideas. What are one or two things that you would suggest our listeners put into place today to build more effective teams and client relationships?
3: One thing I'd recommend would be to talk to the team that you have the most virtual meetings with, the ones that you are interacting with on a really regular basis, and say, hey, how about if we put together some standard points of etiquette? And how about we designate a cameras off day? And see if you can get Mm. everyone in agreement on that. It's really easy to do. It's a good team building strategy. And it really smooths out communication. In terms of working with your clients, I strongly recommend that everyone get used to looking right into your camera lens, make the eye contact. That's very important for relationships. And if you've got a little tiny camera that's just embedded into that black bezel around your, uh, around your laptop mm-hmm. monitor, stick a bright red bullseye or a couple of uh, arrow post-it notes over top so that it's easy for your eyeballs to find the camera. This sounds very, very basic, but you will be amazed at the communication difference that this one little change in your behavior will make.
2: Lauren, you have offered us such great information, and it has been a real delight to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. And Laura, thank you too again for inviting me on.
2: If you were an advisor and would like to know more about Lauren Sergi, just visit laurensergi.com. That's dot com. This will also be available in the show notes. And go out right today to your favorite bookstore, online bookstore, and buy Lauren's book, Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other Shares podcast called Fund and Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor Podcast. Click the
0: subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.